Good morning. Good to be here with you again and enjoyed the worship this morning. I hope God enjoyed it. That's who it was for. It wasn't wasn't for us. It was just to be in his presence with all the angels, you know, as they worship God before the throne. And we join into that heavenly chorus, you know. Amen. I have to be careful when I get up in front of people anymore. I just start telling stories because most of my life's behind me rather than in front of me. You ever think about that? You know, it, uh, when you're 25 years old, you don't have too many stories to tell. You got to go out and create stories. About the time you did this, about the time you did that, you know, you got to. So anyway, I try to hesitate. I kind of watch myself because I can get going on stories and just keep going. Um, but today, um, some of you know that I travel internationally mainly internationally, uh, in, in ministry. And um, six years before I came to Harvest, which would have been back in 2006, I started traveling to Eastern Europe. Um, how long was it? That's 16 years, over 16 years ago. I started traveling to Eastern Europe and developed a lot of friendships there and connections there and and um, did a lot of things. But my... I, I felt like God gave me a name for a ministry the first trip I made to, uh, I went to Bulgaria with a couple of men and uh, got quite, I wasn't planning on going there to preach, but seems like whenever I go anywhere, the next thing you know, I'm preaching somewhere. I don't know how that works, but I got over there and I started preaching and uh, I preached a lot of places. That first trip, uh, the man that I went with, he kept, you know, we'd be driving to a church, and I'd be sitting in the back seat looking out the window, and he'd lean over the seat and says, oh, by the way, you're preaching tonight. You know, that's type of thing, you know. So you've heard the old saying, be instant in season and out of season. I got a new definition for that on that trip. You know, you have to be ready because this guy, was a, he was, he'd pull the trigger on you, you know. So anyway, as I was coming back from there, I was praying about what God wanted me to do because I had... I had uh, devoted myself to full-time ministry with God. I'd pastored for 20 years, and then, um, you know, I was getting older, and I just felt like I was supposed to start traveling and going places. Well, that trip, I went, and I thought, well, Lord, what, what is it I'm doing here, and what do you call me? And I got, you know, back then, uh, 16 years ago, iPhones were coming. Well, they have been out a good while, but I think the 5 was out at that time. You know how you, anybody remember wanting a five? No, you don't remember, do you? <laughs> iPhone five. Well, I felt the Lord said uh, called. I was to call my ministry I Water. I read a scripture out of, out of Corinthians where Paul said uh, one guy uh, I can't remember Apollos. Or I planted and Apollos watered, and I said the Lord said you're you're to water. You're to water the church. Give them water to grow. And I thought, well, that, that's kind of what I, I feel like that's what I am. You know, I'm a, I'm a waterer. So I named it I Water. I was a small I with capital water. God's, the, God's got the water, and I, I just follow along behind him, you know. I Water. So that's my ministry's name. 
Now, don't go writing a big check to Iwater Ministries because I don't have a bank account or anything like that, okay? Uh, I've had people do that. It wasn't a big check, but they do that once in a while. So uh, don't do that, okay? But uh, I've been doing that. And then six years later, after I had, uh, well, it was just a few months later. No, it was actually a month later. I went to a Mennonite church up in Odin, a little church up there in the middle of nowhere. Bunker Hill, I think, was the name of the area. Anybody heard of that? What name? Huh? You heard of that? Okay, I went up there. There's a little, little church up there. Someone had asked me to come up there and share about my trip. I ran into a friend of mine. So I went up there, and as, after I shared, a young man in the back of the church pulled me aside and said, Hey, I'm going to Romania next month. Would you like to go with me? And I, I said, Romania? You're going? And he said, Yeah, I think you ought to go with me. So once again, I wasn't invited by the Church of Romania. I was invited by a guy here in America who had a connection with an orphanage there. And so I went over. I didn't tell everybody I was a preacher and I'd come to preach. I think I've learned something over the years. You know, they, you know, sometimes Americans want to help so bad that they come in, you know, pushing everybody out of the way and thinking they've got the answer. You know what I'm saying? We can be that way. And I think I learned early on, don't do that. Just walk in there and find out if they need help and help what they're doing instead of you doing what you think ought to be done. Does that make sense? And uh, so I, I went there and met a young man who was, who was, uh, he was an orphan there, uh, Marion Daniel. He, he didn't have any act. He'd been here at this church a number of years ago. He lives in England now. And I keep in communication with him occasionally. And, but anyway, um, um, Marion found out that I was a minister back in, in Indiana. So he said, hey, I want to introduce you to some pastors here. So he introduced me to some pastors. And one of them was a young, energetic guy. He headed up a, kind of a youth ministry for the entire country of Romania. And um, he invited me to come. But he pastored a little church in the meantime, he's pretty young, so they, they don't give you a big church when you're young. You, they give you a little church, so he got a little church there. And he invited me to come to that little church, and there was a whole bunch of men in the church. I thought, boy, he's got a good group of men here. Come to find out, they were all pastors, and they wanted to hear how I preached. And then later on, after I was done, every one of them came up and said, can you come over here and preach and preach? And so I got to know them that way. Okay? Okay, I'm just telling you these. This is a story, all right? It's about... So the next thing you know, I'm going to Romania to preach in youth camps. I preached in youth camps from pillar to post over there, from the north to the south, east and west. I've preached in youth camps. So for about nine years, I've preached in youth camps in Romania. This church sends me. Okay, you think you don't, you think this is, you send me to do this. I couldn't do it if I didn't have help people sending me there. You're senders, I'm the goer, you're the senders, okay? That's the way it kind of worked. I think it was in the Bible like that, too. It was meant to be that way. I'm a goer. But anyway, that's something I've done for a number of years. Then, then COVID came along and shut everything down. I was scheduled to go to um, Bulgaria in March of 2020, and, of course, everybody knows everything was shut down. I... My t- ticket was canceled. I had to try to get my money back and, you know, the whole thing. And so just this last fall or in September, I was able to go again to 
Bulgaria. I, now, in Bulgaria, I'm going to share with you about Bulgaria here in a minute. Uh, I was able to go to Bulgaria, and I spent, um, I think I was there for like 35 days all total. I was in Bulgaria, I was in Romania, and I was in Ukraine. Three, three countries I was in. Well, I was actually in more countries than that, but those are the countries I was ministering in and working in. So I said all that so you kind of know who I am and what I do here. And you guys send me. I, I appreciate it. I used to send out letters, but everything got changed under COVID. How many thinks everything got changed under COVID? <laughs> kind of messed up my agenda. I don't know about the rest of you. But, you know, had to wear that mask. And, you know, I was trying to. One guy said putting a mask on to keep out a virus is like putting up a chain link fence to keep out mosquitoes. Now, I don't know. I'm not a healthcare person. Maybe you could correct me on that, but I thought that was kind of, I thought that was kind of a funny illustration. <laughs> All right. Well, um, let's, um, I'm going to share a little bit out of First uh, Timothy today because that we've started a new series on Timothy and Titus, and uh, I want to spend some time on that, but I feel like this is important because when you invest in me to go somewhere, I think it's only proper that you get some kind of return to know what took place. What, what did he do? You know, did he go off to Tahiti? And no, I didn't go to Tahiti. I'm not a traveler. If you really want to know the truth, I'm, I don't like to travel because I, I get all stiff and I can't hardly walk. And never mind, we won't go into that. But let's let's go back to April or go back to uh, September of last year. And uh, if you, Hubie, if you could put up that first slide, yeah, okay. These are these are Roma kids, and uh, Jacob uh, Jacob uh, Jakov here is Bulgarian. These are all Bulgarian kids. I ended in Bul I landed in Bulgaria on like I think the 21st or 22nd of September. Got picked up at the airport by Jacob here, and uh, this is a little. Uh, kind of a new building. You don't see too many new buildings there, but this is kind of a, a gathering of Roma people in, a, in an area in a, around Parvamai, Parvamai uh, Bulgaria. And Jacob, I got him in here because I, I don't have many, many pictures, guys. I, I want you to know that because nobody takes pictures of me. Now, I never did ask him why, but <laughs> I think I know. But they, they don't take too many, and I'm by myself there, so no one takes pictures, so I don't have me up there preaching and my hand in the air like that. You know, I don't have any of that stuff. So I got to show you what I took. I took this picture. I was getting ready to speak, and Jacob's got a bunch of young people, and he's working in a, in a program called Royal Rangers, and he's trying to start this thing over there and get these kids together because most of these kids, I want you to see Jacob there with the guitar, uh, he's one of two men in the last 50 years of Roma people that graduated from university. The Roma people are a people that, that are oppressed and they, they're like beat down. They've been abused and used and, you know, you name it. They don't, they're not looked upon as people who have a lot of get up and go and a lot of class, you know. But they're some of the best musicians I've ever been around, and they sing, and they, they love God, and a lot of them do, and uh, their lives are kind of a mess, like a lot of believers, but they, are, they keep hanging in there, and uh, I really don't know the origins of these people. I know they, I think India, 
Some people say back when Alexander the Great, he conscripted a lot of Indian people and he brought them back from the east. He brought them back and they landed in this area. But they're all over that region of, of um, Romania and Bulgaria and they travel around a lot. But they, uh, they love God, a lot of them. And this is, this is a little youth group here and they're playing a little music. And... Um, I went to two, uh, gyp- I'll call them gypsies so you understand, two gypsy churches, and they were packed every night. The people standing outside. I tell you, they'll preach you to death because you get over there and you just, you get the music and everything, and they, they're happy people, and you enjoy, and then you lay hands on everything that moves, and you pray for everybody, and uh, <laughs> yeah, they come for, I had a one night, the one night, one church I was in, a young man came up to me, and he had a little girl had a little girl with him like this. She was about four years old. And he had her there with him, and he wanted to talk to me. And, I, and he was smiling. And I said, uh, hey, how you doing? And we got to talking, and he said, Jeff, do you remember me? And, well, of course, I don't remember people. He was in the dark. I couldn't hardly see him. They don't have a lot of lights around, and I couldn't tell who he was. He said, he said uh, five years ago, you prayed for me and my wife so that we could have a child. And he said, and here she is. (laughs) That, I'll tell you, that that blew me, blew me away. So, you know, you get kind of excited about things like that. Now, if you folks think that I should be going over there and preaching to thousands of people, I want you to know something. I'm going to say one thing. First Timothy. Who was Paul talking to here? Just one guy. Just one guy. Timothy. If I can reach Timothy, he can reach others. And you know, I've had to look at my life like that. If I can just reach one other, then it may be worth it all. And God has given me some great opportunities just to reach one other person. I remember back when I first became a Christian, I was in Germany. I was a soldier, and I'd, I'd gotten out of the service, and I stayed over there to work with a missions organization. And I got to go to this dinner, Thanksgiving dinner, to a general's house. But he wasn't just any general. <laughs> he was the general of all the American forces in all of Europe. You've heard of Alexander Haig? Well, this man was just right. He was his adjutant. He was right underneath him. He was a four-star general. He was a uh, four-star Air Force general. And I was in his home. I ate off gold-plated eagle plates. I had E7s and E8s. If you don't know who those guys are, they're, they're pretty high up NCOs. They were waiting on us, you know, giving us food and stuff. And I got a chance just to talk to him about Jesus. You never know where God will send you. I just want to, I don't see, I got stories. I'm sorry. I just got stories. It just comes out like that. All right, let's go on. Um, right here, this man here on the right is, he's, he's, his name is Pastor Yancho, with a Y, Yancho. Okay? On the left is Valya 
And Valya was Pastor Doncho, D, Doncho's. <laughs> they got Yancho and Doncho. You, you got to know what I'm saying. And her husband died in the COVID. And this was one of the things that I was real. I think I mentioned this to you all. And I think we received an offering for Pastor Doncho's family. And we sent it over there via the, uh, with Rodolfi Mountain Missions. We sent it through that to help her as a, as a wife, of a, as a widow. Uh, I used uh, to stay in their home all the time. Pastor Yancho is trying to pastor the church that Pastor Doncho pastored for 30 years. Has anyone been in a church where a man pastored for 30 years and then somebody else comes along and tries to pastor? Huh? Yeah, they're tearing him apart. They're ripping him because he's Roma. He's Gypsy. Gypsies are laid back, happy people. Brother Doncho was intense. He was Bulgarian. He was a very intense man. I was around him a lot. I loved him. He couldn't speak a drop of English. He'd see me go, Jeff. That's all he'd say, Jeff. I'd say, Brother Doncho. Lekanosht, you know. I'd say as many, I'd say all my Bulgarian words in about two minutes. But anyway, um, uh, Brother Doncho was a great man, and he was loved by every. You could travel for two or three hours in any direction. They knew who he was, and they'd weep when they saw him because he went through the tough times with them. He went through the battles with them in communism. He took me to the first church I ever preached in. It was a church, the only church that they left open in Bulgaria because of the miracles God was doing in that church. The communists wouldn't touch it. They stepped back. And besides that, both of them had family members that got healed in that church, and they didn't want to touch it. They stayed away from it. And people came from all over Bulgaria to come to that church because it was the only church you could go to, and no one would, you know, arrest you, throw you out. I preached in that church. Just a little simple church, Roma church. It was a gypsy church. Okay. Now... Let's go on with another photo here. Okay, this is the church. I was there. I wasn't going to stay, but I felt like God wanted me to stay there because I was supposed to leave on Saturday, and they were having a 30-year reunion church on or service on Sunday, and I could tell they wanted me to be there. They wanted me to speak, and I, I was wanting to leave because I wanted to go down south and be with Hari where we support Hari on and that's another ministry there I want to talk to you about. But we wanted to, I wanted to leave. Well, I went to bed Friday. No, it was Friday night or Saturday night. I can't remember what it was. I went to bed, and at 3 in the morning, I got woke up. And I got these words going through my head. Moses, my servant, is dead. Get up and cross this Jordan. Moses, my servant, is dead. Get up and cross this Jordan. Well, Pastor Doncho had died the previous year in May. So he'd only been dead a little over a year and three months or so. And I knew what God was telling me. I'd spent three hours the day before with Pastor Yancho. He wanted to resign because the people were so hard on him, complaining to him and giving him such a hard time. I know nobody here knows what that's like, but anyway, they gave him such a hard time. He was so discouraged. He just wanted to quit. He wanted to give up, and I kept talking to him. 
he was the one Pastor Doncho had picked to be the pastor of the church. And they still would not receive him. They still would not bless him. So I'd found out, I'd heard that he was going to resign on the 30th anniversary of the church. He was going to get up and resign. And I never talked to him. I never said, don't do it. I just thought, but now I heard this message and I thought, well, so I got up and as carefully as I could, I reminded the people that it's wonderful to rejoice over the things of the past. I mean, we had testimonies of healings. We had testimonies of salvation. People were getting up like you saw, they were getting up and sharing things that God had done over the years and how Pastor Doncho had been such a good man. And then I got up and preached that message about Moses, my servant, is dead. Get up and cross this Jordan. And the Lord reminded me if the Hebrew people had stayed on the shore of that Jordan and sat there and rejoiced about the things that had happened in the past, they'd have all died right there. But God had more for them in the next phase of what he wanted them to do. And I tried to share that with them. And there was a lot of weeping in the church when I shared this. And I didn't see any gnashing of teeth, but I'm sure it was there. <laughs> and I was thinking, boy, I hope I can get to that back door before this is over with, you know. So I, I, uh, I left it there, and I smiled, and I sat down, and then later we had a meal. And they, they, many came to me and said they knew what was doing. Why am I telling you this in-depth story because I want to show you the importance of strategic ministry you know sometimes strategic ministry is very important for God to get people from point A to point B to get them where he wants them to go pastor pastor Yancho did not resign that day he did not resign that day he went on and he's still pastoring the church and I believe the people are settling in to his leadership okay just shared that. i got to move on. Uh, let's go to Kerjali. Uh Oh, this is the family I stayed with. The, this is Pastor Doncho, his daughter and grandson, and, uh, and uh, Brother Akuyan, the, uh, the, the husband of Nellie on the right. And I stayed with this family while I was there. And uh, that's where I used to stay years ago. And uh, we, we talked and grieved over the death of Pastor Doncho. Pastor Doncho wasn't that old, but he got COVID, and he did not last very long. So uh, just wanted to let you know that. Now we'll move on. This is Hari and Pinka Atanasov. Hari is a, a minister in Kerjali, uh, southern Bulgaria. He has worked with Muslim people. Hari, by ethnicity, is a, a Greek. He loves to go to Greece and fish. He loves to fish. He he's like, it's in his blood, I think. I tease him about that. But Hari and Pinka are married, and they've lived there for a number of years. They have one son, Ivilo, and uh, he's a really neat guy. I like spending time with Ivilo because he's kind of, he's had a hard time with the church and stuff, and I believe God is working in his heart. But Hari works very, labors rigorously to win people in the mountains, the Rodolfi Mountains, he, to win them to Christ. And you have to have a real special uh, anointing, I believe, to do that. And Hari and Pinker are both uh, renowned artists. They teach art. They, uh, they uh, do art. 
all the time, and they display their art. They sell their art. That's how they try to make a living. And um, we have a, a, a ministry called RMM. It's Rodolfi Mountain Missions that Jonathan Fable and I put together to be able to send money monthly to Hari so he can use. Because Hari's not alone. He has five other pastors that have all committed themselves to not only being pastors but also missionaries, pastor missionaries in the Rodolfi Mountains. I, I don't have the brochure, but I could show you a, a line that he's drew across Bulgaria, it's southern Bulgaria, where it's thousands upon thousands of Muslim people. Now, um, there's 700 villages, and they're pretty much all mu Muslim. There's one village that I know of that completely changed to Christianity, and I don't have time to get into that. But uh, this ministry uh, uh, has been something Hari has been working in for a number of years, ever since I've known him. And God is doing things. Every, every week, people are coming to Christ. Every time the, well, at this time of year, you know, they're not, baptizing too much they got a few baptismal tanks inside buildings but they're baptizing people all the time some of them are roma people some of them are turkish bulgarian some of them are i mean they're a mixed bunch about like us they're they're a mixture of people you know and some of them are muslim some of them are coming out of islam and because their islam is a is a nominal islam they don't they're not radical muslims like sometimes we think muslim people are they're they're nominal. Now, the Taliban's been in that area trying to uh, stir things up, but most of the time the people aren't interested in that. And so we have a rapport with a lot of the villages there. Let's see. You want, want to go on again? I don't know what the next slide is. Okay, this is a Muslim village. It's right on the Greek border. We were there uh, in uh, sometime late September. And we went to village, th th visit the people that are in this house right here where we're at. And this is overlooking the valley where the little village is. There's hundreds and hundreds of these villages. Okay? But Hari has a way in there. He has these art programs that he goes in and says, we're going to share art with the children. If you want to bring your children, we'll teach them how to be artists. Well, they know Hari and Pink are renowned artists. They've heard of them. And so they... Uh, they love to bring their children, and, and Harry does that. He teaches art. He can't go in there and preach Jesus to them because they'll throw him out of the village. I mean, literally throw you out of the village. They'll pack you up and send you down the road. So he knows how to go in there and reach people. Now, the next, this is a family. See, this man and this woman, they live in this village. They're, they were formerly Muslims, but they've become Christians. And their Christianity is, is really real. Okay, they had about 20 people come into their home, and they were some of them had become people of faith. 20 Muslims from that village had become people of faith. Some of them were baptized right there in their home. But the imam came in and found out what was going on. He said, you and take your Jesus and get out of our village. And the people got afraid because they afraid that they would, you know, harm them bodily. So the people quit coming. But these people have stayed, stood fast. They stood fast. The elders of the, the, the mosque came too and threatened them. What's really interesting, six months later, the ones that had threatened them were all dead. Now, I don't want to say that was God because I don't think God goes around killing people who are unbelievers all the time. But I do think God was if they were intending harm to these people, I believe God would do something. These people are lovely believers and they're so sweet. 
to just listen to their stories and to talk to us about. They're very poor. He's a woodcutter. He cuts wood, and he has some kind of a medical thing where I think he has to take blood pressure medicine, and his wife's always concerned about him dying, but, uh, you know, he, he works hard, and, and they're just people who live in that village. And these are, you can see Harry here talking to them, and, uh, you know, this is what Harry does. He goes and works with these people one-on-one, -on -one, winning them as he can. And in the, in the winter, just right now through the last season, Hari has went around and he's given, he's given hundreds and hundreds of boxes up in those mountains to the children. You know, uh, Franklin Graham has that shoebox ministry. Everybody's familiar with that? That shoebox ministry of Franklin Graham. He gets, <laughs> he gets way over a thousand boxes and then he gets teams coming in from Switzerland and Germany and places like that. And they go out through those mountains and give those out to the children, some to the families. He even had one village that he's went to so many times, they put shoe boxes together for him to pick up and take to other villages. What a blessing to see this, the, the way people's hearts are changed. And uh, I remember on one occasion, Hari gave... I probably shared this story, but one occasion he gave three boxes to these ladies that had little babies in their arms, little children in their arms. They had no shoes on. It was in December. They had no shoes. And Hari was giving them the boxes, and the lady said, we don't want boxes. We want shoes for our children. And Hari said, well, please take the box now. Take the box, and we'll see if we can find some shoes for your children. All three of them had children that didn't have shoes. Well, they opened up their boxes, and each one of the boxes each one of the boxes had shoes, and they fit the children. And through that, the ladies saw God, and Harry said, see, God knows what you need. Amen. Harry said he'd never seen shoes in boxes before that or after that, never saw shoes. <laughs> Anyways, what a testimony, huh? Anyway, I, I, I counted a privilege to be able to spend time with Harry here. And uh, well, the last thing we did, he was sick. He had bronchitis. We went to make sure it wasn't COVID. The other man I was supposed to meet with was the bishop from that area. He had COVID. We met outside because I was on the first part of my trip, and the, I did not want the rest of my trip to be a coughing fit. So I, I uh, uh, Harry had bronchitis, but he was getting over it. So the last thing we did is I did a three-part series on making a man of God, a video series. At, the, at Harry's place, we did a video series on making a man of God so he could show that to training. He trains people, has a training facility where he brings people out of the mountains and he trains them to go back and be missionaries in their own cities, in their own villages. So this is some of the work that he does. And uh, it's fascinating work. I'm sorry I'm taking so long here. You probably want to hear more about Timothy. Okay. Photo of us in the home. Okay. Lots of people. Now, I told you about RMM. Oh, I have a little card here. Now, I, I give to RMM, even though I'm supposed to be some, I'm something in it. I like, like a vice president or something. I don't know. Jonathan Fable, I got these little cards. And if you'd like to get involved in what Harry's doing in this ministry he's doing, uh, because a lot of the support we send him, he gives to widows like Doncho's wife. We still want to support people that are a part of that uh, connection there. And these little cards tell you how to get on our organization. 
online and give. It's very simple to get on there and give online if you want to. And I'll just lay these up here uh, in case you want to do that. Some of you are already doing it, and uh, you're welcome to take some of those. And when you get online, too, you can also find out more about what's being done there. All right, let's go on just a little bit. I, I don't want to keep too much longer. Romania. The last, <coughs> the last almost three weeks I spent in Romania, uh, you know, once again, I spent a lot of time with young people. Believe it or not, I hang around young people when I go there. I don't know why young people seem to like to talk to me. Maybe it's just because I'm American. They want to practice their English. I don't know. But I talk to them, and we spend time together, and it's one-on-one. -on -one. I talk to them about service, serving. I talk to them about, uh, you know, like if they got a job, should they quit their job and start doing ministry? I try to answer questions. I had some kids asking me, uh, somebody prophesied over them that they were supposed to do this and do this and do this, and they were confused. And I explained to them, you don't listen to anybody that, that prophesies over you unless God's already speaking to you first. They only say things to you that will encourage you to do what God's already speaking to you about. And uh, I try, you know, just things like that. Lo lots of times just talking. And then I also, during this time is their Thanksgiving. In October is their Thanksgiving time. I went to like three Thanksgiving services. I preached at three Thanksgiving services. Didn't preach the same message, but I preached at all these different places. Uh, they asked me to come and preach in these Thanksgiving services. Claudio and Corina, there are pastors in Moldova, Noah, and they also pastor in a town called Pojagina. And uh, I went to those churches. There they are. That was a Thanksgiving service. I'm back here on the left, and all these people sang in a choir, and afterwards they wanted a picture. I wish you could have seen the altar. It was packed with what, what they do there for Thanksgiving. They bring their food in, the harvest. They bring, they bring all kinds of food in, you know, apples and and all kinds of things from there. Grapes. That was some of the most beautiful grapes. I mean, grapes were huge. They brought them in and put them on the platform. They lay it in front of lay it in front of the Lord on the altar. And it was a beautiful picture. I just didn't take it to show you. They even had bananas there. And I asked one of them, I said, I didn't know you guys could grow bananas in, in Bulgaria but or in Romania, but they all laughed about that. That was a joke. They don't grow bananas in Romania. All right. Preaching in many, many churches, I think um, for two and a half weeks there, I think I preached a total of about 16, 17 times. And um, now, let's go on here. Okay, one-on-one uh, -on -one again. This is the home of, uh, this, this family's name is Bojorian. Bojorians were people, some of the first people I met. Uh, their, their son, Vika, the lady's got the little baby. Uh, Vika there is the, the grandma there, and these are her nephews, and that's her son there leaning over me. And, uh, well, we got a lot of history together, okay? But her husband died uh, last year in COVID. His name was Milan, Milan, and he was a real good friend of mine. I really liked Milan. He had a lot of wisdom, and he was a hardworking man, but I think he got the COVID and and died, and so I visited this family because they'd lost uh, Milan, and I got to talk to them and sort of get some closure on that relationship. But their son, Emmanuel, is the man that I travel with on the youth camps. Their son's involved there, and that's how I got to know them. So I just want you to see, it's just kind of like a one-on-one -on -one thing. And after uh, I was in, um, I came to Romania, I traveled uh, 
up to northeastern Romania, Suchava, the city of Suchava, and from there it's just a short hop to Ukraine. And um, speaking of Ukraine, last year, in case you, some of you don't know, this church gave about $3,000 to send to Ukraine to help buy food. And uh, the men that I worked with, we'll get to them in just a second, uh, their names are uh, Yanuts Amatise and Pastor Vitaly. And Pastor Vitaly is from Ukraine. Pastor Yanuts is from Suchava. And he's been going, Yanuts has been going to Ukraine for many years as a ministry into Ukraine to encourage the brethren there because the people on the other side of the border, on the north, northeastern border, they're all Romanian. And they speak Romanian, except when they have to speak Ukrainian or they have to speak Russian. They know those languages as well. So, you know, thank the Lord we got off of that, didn't we? We didn't have to go through that in school. They, when they had to go to school, they had to learn Ukrainian and they had to learn Russian. And they spoke Romanian in their home. Anyway, um, the two pastors uh, right here, Yanitz is on the left, Vitaly's on the right. We're in a shelter for people coming out of the war, people that had their homes destroyed, people that have been dislocated, refugees. They're, they're doing a shelter here. This is going to be a cafeteria upstairs. they got bedrooms and stuff. I met a few of the people talked with them a little bit. They're not real responsive because a lot of them lost everything. A lot of them are from the area of Marapul. You heard of the city Marapul? Marapul, M-A-R-I-P-O-L. That's in our English language. I don't know how it's spelled in Russian or Ukrainian, but Marapul was a city that was annihilated, and they told me that as many as 20,000 civilians were killed. And you don't hear that in the news either. But these guys are on the, Vitaly was driving to Kiev when the war was going on and it was the hottest. He was driving to Kiev with, with the food that we had bought. He was taking it to the Kiev area to disperse. And the reason we work with these guys, and most people work with churches because you could trust them. There's some organizations you can't trust. And so we was able to trust these guys and they got the, where, where it needed to be. Uh, you can go on with the next. Uh, finally, I got a picture of me. <laughs> Yay. This is me preaching in, in uh, Ukraine. I think I've shared this before, but I was preaching uh, in English, of course. That's the only language I have. That's what they call somebody that uh, only speaks one language. You know, you're bilingual, trilingual, and one language is just Americans. You know, we speak one language. I tried to explain to him, you can go about a thousand miles in any direction from here and you've still got English to deal with. But anyway, this guy knew English better than me. Uh, he was Russian and he was from the Marapool area. He married a woman from Indiana. Can you believe that? I, I think he went to university over here. He's a very intelligent, very educated man. And uh, he uh, married a lady from Indiana and they lived in Marapool. They had everything destroyed. They were here at this church. Most of the people here were... Um, most of the people here in this church were uh, uh, from the Marapool area. Uh, it was kind of a difficult place to speak and share, but um, Yuri uh, was a sweet man. I wish I could have got to spend more time with him, but we had to leave that night because the lines getting in and out of the country, it's difficult to get to the borders. Uh, there's trucks. You saw those pictures of the trucks. Truckers spend a week getting out of Ukraine and a week getting into Ukraine. They have to call and have food delivered to their truck. They stay in line. 
And this is because they've shut down the Black Sea. They've shut down the ports so that Ukrainians can't get stuff in or out. And this is the only way they can get supplies in and out. I'll share that with you. So, uh, yes, we, I saw a funeral. I didn't put it up here. I saw a funeral while I was there of a young soldier. They lay flowers all along the road as you drive along the road. They're putting in. And um, it was in an area where you could see the rockets coming over and hitting. At that time, they were shooting rockets into the Kiev. But we were probably 100 miles from Kiev, so it wasn't anything like we had to worry about. Anyway, um, I think that's all I wanted to share with you. But I do want to share this last video with you. It's about a minute-long video. It's a group of people that have had, they've lost everything. And, you know, I don't necessarily support governments. In, in that region. I don't say I'm for the government there and the government there. I'm not for the Russians or for the Ukrainian government, but I am for the people. You know, God sends us to people. He doesn't send us to governments necessarily. He sends us to people. And so I think about what the people have went through and what they've lost. And I want to show that you might have to crank the volume up on this chase or whoever's doing it because it's a little bit low, but if you could put up that video and we'll just let people see them. I just wanted to share that with you. That's a group of believers worshiping God. Uh, they've lost everything, and, and they've, that's not even in their church. That's somewhere else. And uh, they're in, back in the West, and they've gathered there to worship. Okay, I know I went a little long today, and I, I'm not going to share much more, but that's about my trip. Uh, I, I'm to go out again um, February 24th, I go to Mexico. The only places I go now is Eastern Europe and Mexico. And I haven't been to Mexico. And I've, I've lost a lot of people I know down there. And I need to go down and see the people. I need to go down and encourage them, spend time with them, and, and bless them and bless their people. And uh, I'll be in Mexico from Mar February 24th to March 6th. So I just want to let you know that. I'll be around until then. And, and uh, we're going to head out again and trust God. Please pray for us as we go. I got four other guys, three of them I haven't met, and just pray that I can get along with them, because I'm not that easy to get along with, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I'll get along with them, I promise to get along with these guys, and so I'll be good, I'll behave for harvest, okay, but anyway.
1 Timothy 1, 12 through 20. I'm going to just read this real quick. If you um, like to follow along, it's 1 Timothy 12 through 20. It says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, and yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. And yet for this reason I found mercy, in order that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may fight the good fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered over to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Like I said, this is Paul just talking to Timothy. Paul thinks it's worthwhile to invest in one man, in one boy, in one young man. He called him. Did you see how tenderly he spoke to him? He said, now, Timothy, <laughs> my son. Timothy, my son. Paul never had children, but he had a lot of young men like Timothy to invest in. And he spent time investing in them. And you know, it's interesting here. Paul shared a little bit about his former behavior. Uh, what was it he called himself? I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent aggressor. That's what he called himself. He wasn't a good man when it came to the faith, when it came to people of faith. Well, you know, he killed, had Stephen killed, you know, that's there, in the book of Acts. You can see it there where in Acts 7 where Timothy was, or where Philip, uh, Philip, or, uh, Stephen was stoned and Paul was there watching this, watching him die. So Paul is reminding Timothy of the kind of man he was. And then he wants to remind him of how his life was transformed by Jesus, by the grace of God. Timothy was serving in a city of Ephesus, uh, which is a modern, in modern day, it's in, in Turkey. Uh, it had a lot of, back then it probably had a lot of Greek influence in it. Um, and if you go over to Revelations, I think the second chapter, it starts out by talking about the church that's in Ephesus. And it seemed like as you're reading there, they did everything right. They did everything right. They dealt with false prophets. They, they, they believed the word. They did. And then at the end, John says, but I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first love. It's, it's, it's interesting. You can have all your theology right and still get it wrong, isn't it? 
You lost your first love. You lost your passion for Christ. And I think Paul wanted Timothy to keep that passion. Um, he's, I like this scripture, he says, it's a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Now, I can't sort that all out. You know, Paul knew he was a sinner. He, had, he was a religious man and knew he was a sinner. Sometimes the hardest people to see their sin is people that are very religious. And I, I, I get fearful of that myself because I'm kind of religious. You know, I've been in this for 45 years, for longer than that, 48 years, something like that. And, you know, I get used to doing things, the same thing. I get used to coming to church. I get used to talking, talking the talk, you know. My greatest fear would be I'd lose my passion for Christ. I'd, I'd be cold in my heart. And I have been cold. I have been cold. I've seen myself as cold before. Offended, hurt, you know, angry. You know, they say when a man gets fearful, he'll get angry because he don't like fear. I've seen myself like that. I think Sam was talking about a little bit of that today, and he was trying to express that. And, you know, we have to keep that first fervent love we had for Christ. We can have all the other stuff right, but we need to keep that fervent love. And I think... Paul, as he talked to Timothy in this chapter, in this see, Timothy wasn't like Paul. How many of you knew he had a mother and a grandmother that were godly people? They they believed the gospel. They were Christians. Timothy grew up in a Christian home. I think his dad was a Jew, but he grew up in a Christian home. Young boy grew up, you know, young enough to grow up in a Christian home. He wasn't like Paul. He was totally different. But he needed the same faith, and he needed the confidence to stand up and be the man of God that God wanted in Ephesus. Paul was saying, he put me into service. I was a blasphemer. I was this. I was that. And he put me into service. He counted me faithful. So don't worry, Timothy. You're okay, Keep doing what people have spoken over you and confirmed in you through the prophecies and the laying on of hands. You know, they were speaking those things to, to confirm what God was already saying in his young life. He had traveled with Paul. He had seen things that other men had not seen in the life of Paul. As I read this, I thought, well, that's about kind of like what I'm talking about here, telling you about what I do. I'm not Paul the Apostle. Don't go around here and say Jeff thinks he's Paul the Apostle. But everybody should be doing something like that, somebody bringing somebody along. Am I right? You should have someone you can talk to and encourage. There's men, I mean, Yanuts Amatise, I, I respect him and honor him. He is one of the best preachers I've ever seen. He pastors the largest Baptist church in uh, the city of Suchava, which is about 200,000 people. And, you know, he's in this big church, and he's so young, and he's got a family of six like I have, and we have a lot of fun together. But he just, he's a good man, and God uses him in powerful ways. 
to encourage others. He, he gets young men and brings them alongside of him and encourages them. And I try to encourage you nits too. It's, it's the, you know, is there any wonder the Holy Spirit, we call him the comforter, like he's a, like he's a blanket we wrap up in. But that same word is encourager. Did you know that? The same word that we call him, the he's the encourager. The Holy Spirit wants to encourage people. He'll encourage you to do stuff, and he'll also encourage you to not do stuff. And you just got to listen to him, you know. He's an encourager, and he gives you power and strength to be that way. And so Paul was, that's what we should be. If the Holy Spirit's an encourager, then how much more should I be an encourager? And I think Paul is sharing these things when he says to Timothy, for this reason I found mercy in order that in me, the most sinful person in the world, Christ could demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those like you, Timothy, who would believe in him for eternal life. God did that so he could show men like you, Timothy, that he can do anything. Because you weren't even as bad as I was. And look, God's going to use you, Timothy. Timothy needed encouragement. Because of where he was and what he was doing, he needed to be reminded that, that the saving power of Christ was available to every person that was sinful. Be Remember, Timothy, you'll be in with dealing with sinful people and it's the power of Christ, it's the power of God that came to save people and deliver people from their sin and to transform their lives just like he's transformed mine and like he's transformed you. You're sent there to see that done in Ephesus. Okay, I know you're sitting here a long time. You're gonna, I'm going to close. I'm going to read something to you if you don't mind. This is a story. Can I read a story? One page. Nothing on the back. No tricks. It was three days before Christmas, 1974. I settled back alone in my room to sip a bottle of whiskey, and after an hour had passed, a knock came at the door. Suddenly, I was whisked away by a few soldier friends to a downtown apartment. They needed a spark of life at their party, and I'd always enjoyed an opportunity to be the center of attention. At 23 years old, I was facing my last year of military duty, serving as an artillery surveyor with the United States Army in Ansbach, West Germany. My life had whittled down from high hopes of an Army career to hopeless highs in the next drug deal or drink. I felt cold, wasted, and alone. Upon arrival, the flow of drugs and drinks continued until haunting laughter filled the smoke-clouded den. In the midst of this good time, quote unquote, I, I surged forward from my seat with an awful awareness of my total helplessness. Soberly, I scanned the faces in the room and politely excused myself, intending to leave. When asked where I was going, I replied, I'm going to die. The laughter stopped, and as I left the apartment, stark faces were frozen with the thought of death. My midnight walk was without destination as I stumbled up what they called Five Mark Hill. The grip of despair squeezed my chest. My body was numb to the cold and deaf to the noises that surrounded me. Thought my thoughts flowed recklessly without form or meaning. There was nothing behind and nothing ahead. 
Death was the only impression I had. I was going to die, and soon. Reaching the top of the hill, I was again aware of the world and paused at the curb of the street. Two soldiers were walking with purpose in their steps on the opposite side of the street. One was carrying a large book at his side. I recognized it as a Bible. And as I did, my mind was instantly flooded with the thought that God was trying to reach out to me. In what seemed to be an audible voice from my past, I heard the words, quote, If any man comes to me, I will never cast him out. Without hesitating, I dashed across the street, confessing my need of Christ to the bewildered soldiers. Bravely, they invited me to their room where we proceeded to pray together. I poured out my heart to God with uncontrollable tears and anguish on account of my sin. My senses were immediately clear to the drugs and the alcohol. Still, I sensed a struggle inwardly, which I confessed to the other soldiers as a difficulty in believing and knowing God for salvation. Having prayed the sinner's prayer dozens of time and being baptized in water twice, I wasn't convinced that a bath of tears and torment of soul could do any good. Determined to get peace with God, I locked myself in my room to seek God. The childhood, now I lay me down to sleep, would not do. I needed to speak to God from my depths, openly and honestly, like a man sentenced to die at dawn. I confessed everything from doubts of his existence to my fears of not having power to serve him. Constantly, sins from my past were confessed as I pled for forgiveness and deliverance from sin. On Christmas Day, after two days of restless nights and desperate prayer and meditation, I lifted my arm headward and I cry, heavenward and I cried, Oh God, I just want to know that you've forgiven me. In that moment, before my arm could be lowered, a transforming power swept through my inner being and instantly I knew I was forgiven. My heart was no longer cold. It was warm with the presence of God's love and acceptance. Tears of joy and love for God replaced tears of guilt and sorrow. I saw purpose to my life rather than wasted years. When I lowered my arm, I reached for my coat. I had to tell friends about this new life given to me by God. The choir sings, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray, cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. It's three days before Christmas, but for me, Christmas has come and continued because Jesus has come to live in my heart. Friends, that's my testimony from 48 years ago. When I read this about Paul trying to speak to Timothy, I shared this testimony of mine. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget it when I get to be old. Well, some of you think I'm already there, but... I wrote it down for my grandchildren, my children. I wrote it down so they could read it to their children and their children's children. Write yours down. It may not be as dramatic as this, but it's something. It's your story with God. Write it down. I remember one occasion. For many years, I was going up to northern Ontario, Thunder Bay specifically, and I was preaching in an inner city church. And the church there had asked me to send them something about myself, and I sent them this testimony. I didn't know what they did with it. 
But apparently they had taken it and copied it and handed out all over the inside of that city. Everybody in that city got to read that. I didn't know it. And they were taking me. It was cold as Blitzen. I remember this. It was so cold up there. It was in the winter. And I I'd flown into International Falls. And if anybody knows where the coldest place in the planet is, it's probably International Falls. We flew out in there, and then we had to drive a long way. But anyway, get off those stories. Uh, I was walking into the church, and there was this big Indian man standing, because most of the people that went to this church were Indian. They call them Indian up there. They don't have to call them different names. He was standing there waiting outside. He was cold, and he, he, he saw me coming, and he stopped me, and he said, are you the, did you, and he had a piece of this, pay, he had one of these, and he showed it to me. He said, did you write this? Is this yours? I said, yes, that's my story. And he had it all scribbled up. He had places marked and underlined. And that part where it said a transforming power came into my heart and life and changed me. Took away my sins and I knew I was forgiven. He had that underlined so much. And he, he had me to read that. He said, did God do that in your life? I said, yes, he did. He said, would he do it in mine? And I said, yes, sir, he will. He'll do it in yours. And I just want to leave you with that today as we have communion. He'll do it in yours. God's no respecter of persons. He don't have favorites. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's the only prerequisite. Paul thought he was the biggest sinner in the world. But God will save a sinner. He'll save you today, now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your love and grace and mercy. Thank you in your mercy you have sought us and bought us with the price of the precious blood of a spotless lamb. Thank you that your son was willing to come and lay down his life for us that would demonstrate to us the price that was necessary to redeem us and to bring us back to you and to God. Thank you, Lord. Now, I pray today, Lord, you'll touch hearts and lives in this room. I pray men and women, boys and girls, that hear this testimony, that hear the, the testimony of Paul in the scriptures, and hear the word, Lord God, would bow their hearts today and surrender to you, Lord, because you want to do a redeeming work in every heart and life. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, God. And I ask you to bless and encourage us today as we receive these elements. In Jesus' name, amen.